Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I am Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. We want to be your source for intel, forecasts, and success strategies. Uh, this segment is brought to you by Bull Realty Asset and Occupancy Solutions. Visit bullrealty.com. Well, today we have a very interesting show for you. We're going to talk about the U.S. office market. The show is called Office Sector 2018. You know, I think there's been a lot of changes in the office sector. You know, we've had a great uh, jobs market. Uh, we've had a lot of changes going on in the office market. You think about companies that have been reducing their square footage or reducing their square footage per employee. Then we're seeing some of that kind of backfire. Now some companies are doing the opposite. Uh, we're seeing companies buy large headquarters for their own use. We're seeing maybe the use of a sale leaseback transaction becoming more popular with some of the changes in the tax laws. And speaking of that, we have some major tax law changes. What is that going to bring to the job market and the office market? We'll get into that and a lot more in today's show. Please welcome my first guest, Barbara Denham. She's an economist with Reese, and she's joining us on the phone. Barbara, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So you're uh, glad you're staying warm in uh, New York today? Yeah, it's very snowy here. <laughs> That's a good thing, I guess. Um, yeah. Well, Barbara, tell us, 2017, how did the office market shake out performance-wise? Uh, the office market did very well, uh, especially in the fourth quarter. It was, it, was a very, it was a good year. It wasn't a great year. So things uh, progressed similarly to prior quarters. Net absorption was about 5.2 million square feet, which was about the average of the previous quarters. And new construction wasn't as high. It was $7 million. Overall, the new construction that came online was $37.5 million, which is just above what it was in 2016. Net absorption was $21 million, which was actually below what it was. But when you net the new completions and the new demand, the vacancy rate was flat. So it's been 16.3%, the office vacancy rate, for three quarters in a row. So it's really in balance, you could say. The office rent growth was 0.6% for the quarter, but only 1.8% for the year. Last year it was 2.3%. So all in all, I think it's been a um, it's a good year, but it's not. It's still very there's it's, there's so much caution in the office market, um, and I know you wanted to talk about the tax um, impact, and I do think that we will see a pretty big um, impact at the end of the year. But what I what I think what we're seeing very very much this year is that there's some office markets that are doing very well and then there's some that just are not and when you net those two together it's pretty much a wash yeah well, that's interesting because i would have thought that uh, 1.8 percent increase in the rental rates in 2017 i would have expected that to have been a little higher was the forecast a little higher or did that come in where you thought it would uh that came in about where we thought mm -hmm. we thought it would be about a two percent growth so it's just a bit lower than what we thought um, again, there's a lot of uh, construction that's coming online both this quarter and next year. So in a lot of major cities where uh, net absorption is higher and job growth is higher, there's a lot of construction coming online. So a lot of landlords have been cautious about overpricing their inventory, even their new inventory, when they know they have to compete with a lot of new construction. Yeah. Right, that makes sense. And then in some sectors, uh, some of our audience that are in other sectors might think that 16.3% vacancy is rather high, but to put mm -hmm. it in historic figures, Barbara, how does that shake out? Well, that's what's been so interesting about this whole expansion, is that it has 
really, I don't want to say it's stagnated, but it's been persistently high. At this point in the prior expansions, vacancy rates were in like 12.5%, uh, 13%, 11%. So this expansion has been very um, tepid in terms of overall occupancy growth because firms are just not leasing the square footage that they used to when they added jobs. So it's been, in terms of office employment growth, we've seen much better uh, job growth this expansion than in previous, but you're just not seeing the corresponding office leasing that goes with that office employment because so many firms are, they, we call it densifying, but we're squeezing more millennials, more staff into smaller spaces, and we're giving up the bigger offices, the bigger conference rooms, and the bigger cubicles for shared spaces. We're allowing more hoteling and working from home. So you just don't see this strong leasing activity in this expansion like you had in previous expansions. Yeah, I mean, that's extremely interesting to see kind of how the working environment's changing. Um, and also, as I mentioned, uh, in the uh, monologue, if you want to call it that, you know, that some of these companies are also kind of uh, pushing back the other way now that, uh, that employment is so tight uh, that they are giving their employees a little more space. I know uh, maybe if someone was looking for a job and was really happy to have a job, they could be elbow to elbow with a headset on uh, on a bench. Uh, but as, the, uh, as there's more jobs out there, there's more competition, I think some of the tenants that we represent are looking at, hey, how can we have the upper edge in recruiting and retention uh, and increased productivity? And so it be interesting to see what, how that moves forward with the occupancy per square footage per employee, how that, that tends to change. But uh, let's talk about the Tax Act, uh, Barbara. It seems like if companies are going to have reduced tax, rate, tax rates, they should have more money. It's called the Jobs Act, right? Part of the name of the act. So what do you guys expect for office demand moving forward from these tax changes? So, uh, yes, I mean, you, you, you stepped on uh, two things that will be very positive for the office market. First, the tax act, uh, you know, tax, corporate tax rates will be lower. So companies will be able to retain a lot more of their profits. And uh, they will probably put a lot of that money into um, their office space and the amenities for their staff. Think about it. Uh, one of the reasons why this year has been more, somewhat disappointing to a lot of people is I think a lot of tenants put off making their office uh, relocation or expansion plans in the wake of A, the election last year, and B, the hope that there would be some kind of fiscal stimulus. So they've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and now that we finally have this fiscal stimulus, I think a lot of people will say, okay, it's here. We're done. We can, we can now you know, make these decisions. And, you know, their staff is getting older. Millennials have kind of uh, aged out of that closed space. So, you know, space per employee is an amenity, and you need to accommodate uh, the staff for more amenities when the unemployment rate is lo this low. So you do need to start leasing more square footage per employee to give your staff a little more privacy. So we think that uh, a, the, the, the net leasing per employee will go up, and we do think that landlord, or that tenants will take on more space. But remember, you know, in office leasing, it takes a while for, you know, when you start your decision making and your planning and your, and your searching around, 
it takes a while to sign those leases and move in and have an impact on the office market. So we do think that we there will be more leasing this year, but we won't really feel the impact until the very end of the year of 2018 and then starting in 2019. So we think it's going to be a very good, positive impact on the office market in terms of occupancy growth. However, we do see more new construction coming online. So, uh, you know, just as occupancy growth is growing, uh, inventory is growing. So it may still be somewhat of a wash in the next year or two in terms of overall um, vacancy rates. Well, that's a good point. Uh, it does take a while. You know, if, uh, you, know, if you come to us today and, and want a new space, it's, it's going to be a year out before you move in. Right. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So if these, with the stimulus uh, just happening really uh, in the last month, um, so what would you guess then, Barbara, if you had to look into your Reese crystal ball and say, mm -hmm. hey, a year from now, if we've got vacancy you know, now at, uh, what did you say, 16.3% uh, uh -huh. and we've had, kind of, I guess, rather tepid uh, rate increases at less than 2%, what would you expect a year from now? I think, you know, we uh, right now our, our forecasts are looking still in the 15 to 16% rate. So I don't think, again, if we have occupancy growth with inventory growth, we're not going to see a huge movement in the vacancy rate, probably to 16.0 or high 15%. Mm -hmm. We're not going to see this huge drop like we did, say, in 20, 2006, 2007 to 12.5 or 13. Mm -hmm. It's really been a stagnant uh, movement. Again, it's the national rate, so you don't you don't get these huge leases in um, nationally overall like you do in New York City. New York City actually has the lowest vacancy rate. It's 8.7%. Um, so you might see a huge lease in, in New York that would drop it to, say, 7.9%, but you're not going to see that nationally because it's, it's such a huge market mixing, you know, the Clevelands and the Dayton Ohios of the world with the San Franciscos and the New York Cities. Right, right. That's a good point. And another thing I like to look at with you, Barbara, is the investment market, the sales market, and cap rates and volume because there's a lot of changes going on. How's that impacting the office investment market? So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We'll have more from Barbara Denham with Reese on the office investment market. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Video is powerful. Some of the biggest brands in commercial real estate have trusted us to tell their story. We are Barnes Creative Studios, premier commercial real estate video services. BarnesCreativeStudios.com With ArborCrowd, you get to invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit ArborCrowd.com Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by CommercialAgentSuccess.com. If you're a commercial agent, do check it out. Well, my guest is Barbara Denham. She's an economist with Reese. And uh, Barbara, as we talked about in the previous segment, a lot going on in the economy, a lot going on with the office market in general with changes of how companies are using space. Let's talk about the investment market. What did you see for sales volume? How are investors uh, looking at the uh, office sector uh, out in uh, 2017? Well, the, the office investment market actually took a break in 2017. There was considerably fewer transactions. The average quarterly uh, volume was about $18 billion, uh, down from like 
the 22 to 23 billion in uh, 2016. So I think there's a lot of caution on the part of investors in the office market, namely because they see a lot of construction going on. Uh, you know, the office leasing per square uh, office leasing square foot per employee has been low. So again, there's been this wait and see mentality uh, for investors in the office market that should probably change overnight now that the tax bill has been signed and there is this fiscal stimulus. Uh, and the other thing about the bill is that, um, you know, the tax write-offs for development costs are much more immediate. So there's a huge incentive to build. So we might see a lot of new building, but I think in sales volume, I think there's going to be renewed confidence as well. The cap rates kind of stagnated in the 7.2 to 7.5% rate. Um, for the office market, and that might drop finally. The apartment market dropped steadily because I think the apartment market investment sales uh, optimism was much stronger, whereas office it's kind of stagnated. But I think that might change going into 2018 and 2019. As, as uh, I think, as I mentioned before, there is this renewed sense that firms will be leasing more square footage per employee. There's more money in the bottom line, and so there's a lot more of a return to an office investment. Right, so that 7.2 to 7.5%, that's an average over the country. That's kind of A and B type of properties, right, as an average? Correct. It's okay. very average, and it's... Yeah, and then, and then we, I guess you do expect some slight interest rate increases moving forward? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, so the Fed should be raising the rates by 0.25% uh, every quarter in 2018, and that will have somewhat of an impact on cap rates. Cap rates usually move in line with the Fed funds rate. Um, but we actually have seen, uh, it's not a one-to-one -one cor correlation. You know, even with the, there was three uh, Fed fund increases this year, and yet cap rates in the apartment market still fell. And they didn't really increase that much in the office market. It was very volatile. It went up and then down and then up again. So, uh, in general, we do see interest rates going up, particularly at a Fed funds rate and mortgage rates. However, the cap rates don't necessarily move in line, and if there is more optimism, they could still defy the increase in the Fed funds rate. Uh, they could actually fall a bit, um, but it's, again, it, it really has to do with what trades in the quarter, so if a lot of high-end office buildings trade in, say, New York and, and Washington and San Francisco, that will probably re, you know, lower the average cap rate, whereas if there's a break in those cities and there's more in, say, the Midwest and the, you know, in Texas, you might see an increase because there's a lot of variability based on what trades in the quarter. Right. That's a good point. Yeah, we'll have people listen to the show and they'll call me and, and uh, say, hey, can I get a 7.2 cap? And no, actually, we can get a 6 cap for that. Or another caller I get, and I said, no, that's a nine cap. <laughs> so uh, right. you are talking right. averages. So if you look in your crystal ball, Barbara, and you suggested, hey, if 7.2 to 7.5 is the average cap right now for the country for A and B, what would you expect a year from now? So you're expecting interest rates might be 100 basis points higher maybe, um, and but we may have more demand because of what's going on in the office market. There's more optimism. What would be your, your guess in your crystal ball of an average cap rate a year from now? Uh, well, it could be, you know, it, I would give a range. So mm -hmm. it could be as low as 7% uh, and certainly lower in, again, the, the major cities. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it follows along the lines of Fed, the federal 
uh, Fed funds rate, it could go up to say 7.88%. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm more optimistic. I think it'll, it'll fall a bit. It'll probably the average will be in the upper six to seven percent um, going forward. Okay. If I could again look at my crystal ball, but we have to give a range because right, right. it is a very volatile number. Oh, absolutely. Well, is there anything else in the tax acts, Barbara, that could impact the office market and, and the investment market? overall. What about repatriation? Are, are some of these companies possibly going to bring some major money back in the U.S.? Could it impact this market? Well, you have heard of major firms, especially banks and, and companies like Apple, that are going to take a huge tax hit because as they bring money back, they're going to um, have to pay a huge tax on that. Or if they're if they have a huge, uh, you know, they're, gonna, they're not going to be able to deduct their interest on um, as they could before. So there's there's definitely a, a, an interesting dynamic in terms of um, how firms will decide how to finance their um, their debt based on the changes in the tax law. So that's going to be very confusing for a lot of banks in terms of repatriating that money back. You know that should help, but again, it's going to be it's going to be very complicated, and it's really hard to say how that will impact the uh, commercial real estate market. I do think that the tax favorability for investing and developing will be a very uh, strong positive impact. Um, so I, I think it's really uh, it's going to be great for developers because ironically, even though most companies cannot deduct their interest on their debt commercial mortgage interest is now deductible fully. So, it, And 1031 exchanges, which um, uh, defer capital gains taxes on a sale of a property, that was maintained. So you can easily argue that the commercial real estate industry and, and um, uh, investors were the biggest beneficiary of this tax bill for sure. We're talking with Barbara Denham with Risa about the office market and, and now about the tax changes. So, Barbara, is there anything also in the Tax Act that could cause some companies that might have wanted to own their own space and, and be a user owner uh, that maybe now they might want to sell? Maybe there'll be more sell leaseback uh, volume? Hmm, that's a good question, and I would have to think about it. But again, I guess if you're an investor and you take out debt for your commercial, for your mortgage, um, and it's a commercial use, you can deduct that interest. So it may be beneficial to you to buy your own space. Um, but at the same time, if uh, if landlords can then deduct all their commercial um, interest, which I think they could have anyway, um, they may have a more favorable, uh, they may give more incentives to firms to lease their space. So you have to evaluate that decision based on a number of variables. And it's almost not clear because everything was signed so late and a lot of CPAs and a lot of lawyers are still trying to figure out what it all means. But it's going to take a while to before you can really evaluate um, uh, what's best for you as a tenant. But sure enough, I'm, I'm sure a lot of tenants will be considering, say, buying that space if they can deduct their own interest. And Barbara, what would you leave our audience with today related to the office market? If they're a user of space or they're an investor in the office market or a developer, maybe? Well, yeah, and you know, there's again, there's a lot to consider. I, I, I definitely think you should do your research, definitely do your due diligence because then now there's the uh, property tax deductions that you could consider if you're an owner. Um, you have to pay your own property taxes, but is that deductible now as a business? Um, 
when it may have not been because it all went to the landlord who then deducted it. So all these things are, uh, it's a very complicated time, but I do think business confidence overall has improved, and a lot of small businesses and large businesses should see um, an improvement to their bottom line, be it you know lower tax rates, uh, tax incentives. So I just, I would strongly urge any office user to do a lot of research and um, evaluate every option. Yep. It's exciting time. Barbara, thanks for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And stay tuned. We'll have more on the U.S. office market right after this quick break. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Build out the best all-in-one marketing tool for your brokerage. Learn how you can create marketing materials instantly and streamline your property listings process. Visit buildout.com. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit getvaluate.com. That's getvaluate.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today's segment is brought to you by GetValuate.com, online investment analysis. Well, today we're talking about the office market, the investment market, things important to office users around the country, or maybe you manage or advise or lease office space. Please welcome my next guest, Doug Lauder. He is Senior VP with Business Development with Boingo, and he's joining us on Skype. Doug, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So, Doug, you guys are technology guys. You're in buildings. You're in office buildings. It seems like technology is taking over our office space today. What do you see? Uh, what do we see? We see smart, 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 and more smart. <laughs> Everything is becoming smarter. Uh, the technologies are starting to work closer together. You're seeing it not just with tenants, but with owners. Uh, more information, better information, how to make smarter decisions. Everything is connected. And really, the technology in a similar way that that owners, operators, and tenants have used other things like uh, gyms and other perks to draw in tenants, uh, you're starting to see technology as a way to draw in tenants, uh, both from the owner perspective as well as from the tenant perspective. When they're trying to draw talent to come work at their companies, you know, what are they doing for them technically? How are they making their job easier using technology? Uh, you're seeing a lot of companies now allowing. Uh, their employees to bring their own devices, to bring, you know, a second phone, a se you know, an, an iPad, a watch, a wallet, glasses, whatever the, the technology of the moment is, and using all those things as a differentiator, as a way to, to you know, attract talent, because it is a very competitive market, both for talent and for real estate. And so using technology as a differentiator uh, is, is really something we're seeing a lot of. Okay. So if I own an office building, an existing office building, what kind of technology might I think about today to attract tenants? So there's two things that we're seeing a lot of today. The first is having better information and how to manage your building, right? So a lot of smart connected devices are giving owners uh, the ability to uh, pull levers and push buttons, whether it's power, whether it's uh, planting, uh, common area maintenance, things like that, that will give the the building owner better information about when to turn things on and turn things off and therefore save money. 
Uh, the other thing is, is more detailed information about the buildings themselves, whether that's photographs, uh, 360 videos, 360 views, more precise measurements of the building, uh, all things that are driving that technology to, uh, to make better decisions and really make the, the transition from tenant to tenant and the transition from owner to owner a more seamless experience and less uh, cumbersome because you have all that information digitally, it's at your fingertips and it's easier to, to transact. Yeah, you think about back in the day where we had the, the suspense of running these cables and pulling these cables out, right? I guess you're seeing a lot less of that or? Yeah, you know, it's funny that even though it's wireless, there's still, there still is the need for a lot of wires. I think yeah. the wires are getting more efficient. Uh, they're starting to become, uh, you know, better in terms of the types of cabling that's being deployed. Uh, so instead of having multiple different types of cabling in the walls, whether it's coax, fiber, cat six, uh, electrical, you know, all, all the different things that are in the walls, I think are going to consolidate down into a cleaner set. Uh, so less coax, you know, that's an older, more cumbersome, you know, takes up more space. It's not as efficient as fiber optic and cat six. So I, I think you'll see the types of cabling that's going into the buildings become a bit more precise and a bit more streamlined. Okay. And what do you see for the future? It seems like technology changes daily now. So what might we see a few years from now? You know, what's really interesting and exciting for us is where the paradigm shift is going, right? So if you think about uh, before the internet, before we had Microsoft Excel or before we had email, we just did things differently, right? It was a different, when, when the internet came and when these new tools came, the way we worked changed. It just completely changed and the way we interacted with each other changed. And that's really what technology is going to do going forward. So it's hard to say exactly what that paradigm shift is going to look like, but seeing what we're seeing in terms of artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics, smart automation of a lot of different tasks and activities, it's really going to be a different way we're working using technology, and it's going to require a lot of different technologies to work very closely together. So you're going to see a lot of different, not just wireless technologies, a lot of computational technologies, algorithms on the back end, everything is going to have to get smarter and work better together. And so it's really fun to be in the middle of all that ecosystem as the different technologies and hardware and software come to market, working wirelessly with each other, uh, making all of that connectivity work is, is really what's going to start to progress over the next three to five years. Okay. And what is small cell technology? So if we're talking about paradigm shifts and technology and where it's all going, you know, that's all fun and it's fun to visualize and fun to think about and banter and kick around and hear different ideas about, you know, uh, what it may look like because there's still a lot of unknowns there. But the one thing we do know is that the foundation of all of those things to work today is connectivity. Uh, there's, you know, data and connectivity kind of work hand in hand. You need great data and you also need great connectivity. Um, and connectivity drives data, data drives more connectivity. It's kind of a virtuous circle. And the challenge historically has been providing great connectivity over cellular has been very hard in office buildings. Um, there are a handful of very large office buildings where uh, investments have been made by wireless carriers to improve the cellular service in those buildings. But for the other 99.9% .9 of office buildings in the country, it's been a really big challenge. If you go to conferences and speak on panels, you hear quite a bit that, that getting cellular connectivity into the to the smaller, you know, 300,000, 400,000 square foot buildings has been a big challenge. 
And so the industry has really been working to try and solve that, make the deployments cheaper, make them easier, make the form of the hardware smaller, make the delivery mechanism more manageable. And I think all of that starting to come to market in a form of small cells, and it's really gonna enable those hundreds of thousands, if not millions of buildings that have really struggled to provide really great indoor wireless service uh, to be able to do it in a pretty cost-effective way. Now, are these small cells, uh, are these antennas, or are these different from distributed antennas? So DAS networks would traditionally have a really big uh, head-end room. It was probably in a basement or in a parking structure with a lot of equipment, a lot of carrier equipment, so AT&T, T-Mobile, Verizon, Sprint, they'd bring big base stations, which you know can be the size of you know a giant IT rack, and those would all interconnect into a, another piece of hardware that was feeding a bunch of antennas and radios distributed throughout the building. And it's a great platform, it's a great medium for the biggest and most robust buildings, but it's incredibly expensive, and so it doesn't always make sense for the smaller buildings. And so what Small Cells does is it takes all that equipment that used to be housed in a giant central location and shrinks it and spreads it out throughout the building. So putting it in telecom closets and spreading it out and eliminating a lot of components of the network that were inefficient or that just added to cost. And so really it's, it, it looks and behaves a bit more like Wi-Fi in that the nodes are a lot smaller, the routing of cabling is a bit more seamless, there's no coax, it's all Cat6, Cat7 and fiber. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's really, the next evolution of DAS is small cells, and it's really the perfect solution for smaller buildings. So how is that impacting the trend for pricing? Is this getting a little less expensive? It's getting a lot less expensive. So between the need of space, which is you know an opportunity cost for real estate owners, they're giving up space to house a lot of equipment, between getting that space back spending less on the active components of the network that really are, are, are eliminated as part of this, you're seeing cost reductions of deployment in the you know, 40 to 50% range wow. uh, on, on, on a cost per square foot basis. And so it really is a, a really good medium, a, a whole new platform, and we're seeing you know, a lot of interest from a lot of buildings who've been waiting a long time for something like this. Yeah, and you think about the cost of of not having the capability. You know, we do office tenant rep in Atlanta, and you know, a lot of the companies that we deal with, or a lot of companies in general, I guess, have salespeople, right? And yeah. they're they're on their phones, and it's money to them. And you know, you you see them out in the parking lots, and they can't go in the parking decks, and they can't they can't go in the elevators because they lose service, and they're losing time, right? Yeah, my my cell phone as a salesperson, my sales phone is my cash register. Right. Everything happens on my cell phone, my email, my phone calls. I am still one of the 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 old school guys who has a desk phone number. Most of the 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 younger salespeople on the team don't even bother with the desk phone. They want everything going to their mobile device. And even when my desk phone rings, my mobile device rings as well. So you know, I'm still you know pretty advanced in that regard. But everything happens from the connectivity to our CRM, where I'm inputting different leads and keeping up with customers, to uh, my my inbox, my voicemail, text messaging, uh, LinkedIn, you name it. Everything happens on my mobile device, yeah. and you know we are mobile natives. We just do everything and expect everything to work 
perfectly on our mobile devices. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, you can see our team, we're coming in, all right, I'm on Verizon, what do you want? Let's make sure we got all the carriers. And we're yeah, going, right. we're parking the car, we're going through the deck, we're going up the elevator. It's like, all right, are you got service? You got service? But I guess there's a way to, to come in and kind of just test that capability a little easier than physically try, bringing all those phones, right? Yeah, and, and you would think that, you know, a lot of savvy owners are gathering that information ahead of time. Uh, and not just by pulling up a phone and checking to make sure the phone works. You can do pretty good sophisticated RF survey testing to see really what the capacity is. Because even in an empty space with four people in there, you may get decent service, but once you, once you load it up with people and you start putting people in every 150 or 250 square feet, suddenly the service can degrade pretty quickly. Yeah. So by doing sophisticated RF surveys and benchmark data collection, you can actually understand what the capacity is, what the bandwidth would be in that building if it was fully loaded. So you're seeing a lot of more sophisticated owners, especially owners who have invested in wireless infrastructure, using that as a tool to attract more savvy tenant reps and tenants who are, who are trying to not let their tenants down by putting them in a building, then suddenly all the salespeople show up, turn their cell phones on, and it doesn't work. Okay. So you know, I think that's, that evolution has happened. It's, it's slow. Uh, but it's certainly happening. We're talking with Doug Loader, who was with Boingo, and this has kind of become another utility. You think about, you know, internet uh, as a utility, and now you think, well, wireless phone is kind of like it's another utility that's like we have to have, right? Yeah, from a mindset expectation standpoint, just like you expect there to be a uh, a a sink to wash your hands in the bathroom, you expect there to be connectivity. From a utility standpoint, it behaves a bit differently because while a lot of utilities like electricity and plumbing, for the most part, you install them and you can kind of walk away from them, uh, and they're going to work until they don't work, and then you know you send someone out to go fix them. But they you know they don't break nearly as much and require nearly as much attention as your wireless network. And so, in terms of being a utility, as consumers expect it the same way that they expect oxygen, yes. <laughs> uh, in in terms of being able to just turn it on and not you know, do anything with it for four to five years, that's not the case. Because as we talked about earlier, technology changing so quickly, the expectation of what the technology is gonna do for you and how it's gonna be applied in the workplace is just, is changing so rapidly that you really have to just be constantly on top of, of delivering the service and delivering a quality uh, user experience. Yeah, yeah, it's more, it's really important. It's a, one of the big check in the boxes for, for our tenants that we're dealing with. And so, so you mentioned that uh, these, you should have buildings and spaces with sinks with running water. So what you're telling me is I'm supposed to wash my hands when I, when I leave these restrooms yeah. and stuff. Uh, you, you can follow your own protocol. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what to, I'm a, what I'm a, to do that. I'm a germaphobe. I wash my hands constantly <laughs> all the time. So I uh, don't have to worry about that. So uh, I've heard people refer to something called the fourth industrial revolution what is that so we we kind of touched on it a bit earlier right and this whole concept of the fourth industrial revolution is really about how the digital world is starting to converge with the physical world so the things that we're doing and the, and the things that we're going to do in the future are just going to be different it's not you know going from the horse and buggy to the car you didn't just attach horses to the car and have it pull the car you just changed it entirely. You went from a horse and buggy to a car, and it was just a completely different experience. And that's really what's going to happen with this next wave of technology that's coming our way. 
the idea is to make you know artificial intelligence, machine learning, aut- autonomous cars, you name it. Our 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 whole engagement with each other at work, with the work that we're doing, with the technology that we're deploying, is just going to be different. Um, some of the more obvious, easy to spot examples are autonomous cars, Uber, self-driving. Will we own cars in the future? Uh, will will cars fly? Um, you know things like that. And one thing that's certain amongst all of this is that the machines and the humans need to interact and that medium is gonna be some sort of wireless connectivity. And so when it comes to the current standards of wireless, which is Wi-Fi, cellular, Bluetooth, they all do a pretty good job of interacting with each other, but it's not always seamless. Sometimes when you get in your car, it doesn't connect to Bluetooth as quickly as you like, or when you get home, you're not jumping over to the Wi-Fi network as fast as you would like. But that's all become so much advanced from where it was a few years back that it's going to continue that path forward and newer and faster technologies are going to come out that are going to need the ecosystem to really work more together. And so the fourth industrial revolution is just this whole paradigm shift that the way we live our lives, the way we do our work is is going to be drastically different. And where we fit into the equation is all these different technologies that are powering what's called 5G uh, are really going to be just this huge hodgepodge of different computers talking to cars, talking to people, talking to devices, and all of it's got to interact and work well together. And I think that's where where uh, we get excited about the future of, of, of our business, and it's also exciting about the future of the workplace. Well, it is exciting. And Doug, thanks for joining us. Thanks for the information. Absolutely. If you'd like some more information, visit boingo.com, and you can hear uh, some more, read some more about their services and about getting cellular for a service and small cell service uh, in your space and in your building. So stay with us. We'll have more on office use, office investments. I'm Michael Wall. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Are you a real estate agent? Hi, this is Michael Bull. Would you like consistent high income? Would you like to be the top producer in your office? Would you like to be known as the go-to broker in your market? Well, I have something for you. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Ball. Today our show is called Office Sector 2018. Please welcome my next guest. It's Doug Ressler, and Doug is Director of Business Intelligence with Yardi Matrix, and he's joining us on the phone today. Doug, thanks for being with us. Michael, thank you for having me. Well, Doug, what do you guys think about the office sector moving forward into 2018? It seems like there's a a lot of moving parts that could impact the office market with interest rates and tax rate changes and uh, uh, companies maybe using, still using less square footage uh, per employee. What's your outlook for 2018? Right now, uh, Michael, we think that 2017 was a very good year for the uh, commercial office market. I mean, when you really look at it, 
Uh, the overall unemployment was at a 4.4% rate. It's, it's moved down to 4.1%. Uh, you had uh, strong employment and you had strong leasing activity in the second half of the year. One of the things that we see is that uh, vacancies in 2018 uh, are starting to rise uh, a little bit. Also, with the economy being so robust, we see interest rates uh, to borrowers we think are going to increase longer term. And with that, it's going to mean much more uh, restrictive type of uh, loan origination. So uh, the GDP growth is healthy, 3.3% in the third quarter, fastest growth we've had in three years. With that, we're going to see inflationary pressures, and with that, you're going to see interest rates start to climb, especially for the cost of a loan. And so you're going to see the return on investment being scrutinized a lot more carefully. So we believe that's going to occur. The new tax reform package uh, will probably incent some economic stimulus, uh, inflationary pressure again, but we anticipate that the increasing pressure and higher interest rates in the near term uh, are only going to be you know, robust from a a lender standpoint that uh, more conservative underwriting make it more difficult to obtain the ROI. So we really see uh, commercial uh, developers probably consolidating uh, their properties as opposed to putting more shovels in the dirt. Right. So you think there'll be less new supply uh, moving forward and and that may help really uh, the office market continue to stabilize? Absolutely. And we see with the vacancies, I mean, let's face it, uh, property owners are not sitting still. Uh, we see property uh, owners trying to fill up vacancy space, which has been uh, accumulating with uh, the co-shared uh, type of office where you have WeWork, uh, those type of companies, uh, Woo, things like that, uh, that are going in and filling up that vacancy space, especially in geographic areas uh, where you see it more pronounced. Uh, so they're trying to fill the vacancies to be able to stabilize the market. Right. So you think the uh, tenant trends of maybe tenants really liking the idea of the flexibility of the flexible leases and flexible square footage, you think that's going to continue to grow? Absolutely. We see one of the biggest growth potentials in the market. And what about the urban versus suburban um, <laughs> discussions, Doug? It seems like the, all the development excitement's been in, in the downtowns, uh, and some people are saying that uh, suburbia is dying. Yeah, we right now we don't see the element of a death knell for suburbia. What we do see is that uh, certain urban areas um, are supporting suburban areas. In other words, it's the ep economic diversity of an urban core that can sustain moving out from a central core standpoint to more of a peripheral standpoint. That's true in Atlanta. We see that in Newark. Uh, we see it uh, a little bit in terms of uh, L.A., so right now we don't see that uh, exodus of people moving from the urban area to the suburban area. It may create good headlines and good sound bites, but we don't see statistics that uh, support that. What we really see is large urban diversity that uh, you know calls for that uh, intellectual property and that type of diversity in terms of economic uplift. And we see that the suburb uh, peripheral around it is uh, bearing the fruit of that. Yeah, so it's it's not dead yet, right? <laughs> now, Correct. And you mentioned the reduced tax rates that corporations have, uh, individuals have. So, so Doug, when you looked at the outlook, say you know, in the summer for 2018 office, 
Um, did you adjust it some? What, how much impact do you think this could have? There certainly seems to be some companies that have some excitement and are talking about uh, taking care of their employees and maybe hiring some more. Well, the new construction, the new tax bill may, operative word, verb, may spur a construction boom because of the flexibility it offers to businesses to immediately expense multiple types of asset purchases like real estate. Uh, we look for the growing e-commerce sector to take advantage of the new expensing rules to build more rapid uh, supply chain structures. The retail market, as everyone knows, is in a serious uh, decline. And what we see is that e-commerce is coming up to take into account those gaps. And so we see the industrial market along with the tax rules in certain markets to really be beneficial in terms of a supply-demand imbalance with retail versus industrial. And we anticipate that the co-working space will continue to acquire greater amounts of vacant space, obviously. Yeah, we're talking with Doug, Doug Russler, with Director of Business Intelligence with Yardy Matrix, and we're talking mainly about the office market. So, so Doug, if investors are considering investing in the office market, maybe an existing product out there, they see some opportunities, there's always always some sellers uh, that are looking to, to move their assets. You know, what's your outlook for investors for you know, cap rates and potential increases in NOI moving forward? Well, we think the cap rates in NOI will see like a 1%, 2% type of rise uh, in 2018. We don't see any great significant movement, uh, but we do see that uh, it will increase uh, conservatively 2 to 3% for cap rates and uh, one to two percent in terms of ROI. So the market is good, it's healthy, it's robust. I think what we would caution about is the type of uh, economic or investment vehicle that one would, cho one would choose, uh, whether it be office, whether it be co-working space, whether it be industrial. So you think you're gonna have increases in NOI, but you also think you're gonna see some cap rate increases of how much? Mm-hmm, two to three. Wow, okay. Um, that could be pretty significant. Uh, uh, and it's true for, yeah. yeah, and it's true for what we think is going to occur is based off of uh, what I would call out of the old football jargon of staying at home, playing your position. So based on a portfolio of a developer saying, this is my area of expertise and my geographic area of expertise, I'm going to, you know, make sure that I stay at home and, and really maximize that. I think that's going to occur too. I don't think that people will be looking far afield to go outside their uh, portfolio strategy as to what it is. I think they'll look at consolidating their existing strategy in terms of the spaces and the areas that they play in. And you think the cap rate increases, Doug, that you're forecasting might happen in the office investment market are mainly based on rising interest rates or are there some other factors impacting it as well? Primarily interest rates right now and also we think that the office employment, the continued uh, improvement in terms of office employment will continue. We don't see anything on the horizon right now that's going to diminish that. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, Doug, great information. Uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Michael. If you'd like more information from Doug, visit Yardi.com. That's Y-A-R-D-I.com. And uh, let us know what you think. What's your comments on the office market? Maybe uh, you're an investor. If, uh, if you think interest rates are going to impact cap rates and Caprics are going to rise. Uh, are you a seller? Or are you a buyer? Let us know your comments. We appreciate you hearing from you. And until next week, make sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by 
Bull Realty, Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd. Invest alongside real estate experts. Get Valuate, online investment analysis. CommercialAgentSuccess.com. Better serve clients, earn more commissions. Build Out, marketing for your brokerage. Real Crowd, crowdfunding with the professionals. For more information on these great companies, visit CREshow.com. And you're invited to subscribe to the show on YouTube and iTunes and connect with us on your favorite social media.